0: This is uh, Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM, and I'm talking to Chip Kidd, a uh, designer extraordinaire, about the new book, The Golden Age of the World's Mightiest Mortal, Shazam, mm-hmm. the fancy art book from uh, Abrams. Tell me about the uh, coming up with this book as a concept, because um, he's not necessarily a, uh, a high-profile character nowadays.
1: Well, no, and and uh, I mean I've always I've always been a fan, first of all, uh, which to me is whenever I'm doing a book like this, um, I you know that's very important. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it if I wasn't passionate about it. But um, basically, <clears throat> you know there there's several factors that that sort of need to be in place. Before I'm going to do a project like this Which is basically that the um, That the, 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 this book had never been done before Or anything like it mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, there was this substantial collection Of unpublished stuff, basically And that I was granted access to it And permission from DC Comics
0: And it was primarily one person's collection, correct? Uh,
1: primarily, yes. Some of the stuff is mine, and some of it's from DC, and and some of the original art is from uh, another collection. But it's mostly uh, from one place.
0: Tell me about the uh, the fellow, the the collector.
1: Well, it's a gentleman named uh, Harry Matetsky and um, he he's sort of something of a professional. Uh, collector and dealer of um what would you call it like you know superhero memorabilia and um
0: paraphernalia
1: well and and like radio premiums from the 30s 40s 50s movie posters um really interesting stuff very interesting guy
0: one of the things I was really I quite liked about the book was someone I hadn't er- heard of was uh, was it Mac Raboy? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. familiar with his work, and that was that really blew me away. Yeah, he's
1: uh, he's a very interesting figure, um, and he's sort of uh, I mean uh, I sort of call him Alex Ross before there was Alex Ross, mm-hmm. um, where he really wanted to be um a, a re uh, you know more of a photorealist illustrator and found himself cartooning instead and um yeah the very it's it's fascinating because his art style was so different than the main uh style of the captain marvel books
0: mm, well it's such a contrast to cc beck's work which was quite minimal in a lot of ways in comparison to Mac's work and I guess C.C. Beck wasn't too hot on his work or was that I I don't
1: know a lot of the particulars about that, I know what people said in interviews um, and I I think he probably thought that it was too detailed and mannered and and, uh, Rayboy was notoriously slow, actually if you look at a lot of the Captain Marvel stories as well drawn as they are a lot of the panels sort of repeat themselves or or certain um, uh, poses are repeated Mm -hmm. and that a lot of that has to do with uh, his assistance you know making photo stats of pre-existing things and and putting them in and uh... so i i would imagine that that all of that sort of contributed to uh... sort of not being
0: super keen. (laughs) More of a kind of a conscientious uh, idea on more of an artwork aesthetic, I guess, or that having that more run-through artwork. I don't know. I don't know what the term I'm looking for there was. Um, I'm kind of... The book is interesting in the... um, it really shies away from focusing on the comics And looking more at the fandom How much? What kind of new stuff did you learn Going through putting the book together?
1: Well, I mean, first of all I just want to address what, what you just said I mean, there, there's there been some chatter on the web As of course there always is About, you know, why didn't you include Mr. Talkie Tawny, the tiger And why didn't you include Black Adam And, and all of this And, um... You know there are lots and lots of compendiums of Captain Marvel uh, comic book stories out Mm. there Um, DC has done a very good job Mm. of uh, archiving all that stuff and putting them out in archived editions and all of that Um, what this really there's some of the comics obviously in this book but we we really focused on all the other stuff because Fawcett did an amazing job with fostering uh, you know the young fandom and the Captain Marvel Club and, and all of the uh, they would get, you know, you join the club and then you get a newsletter and it, the newsletter is sort of written by Captain Marvel and I found all of this stuff you know, incredibly charming and you know, previously unpublished mm-hmm. Um, so i but I think th- the revelation to me was you know when you I tried to mention it as much as possible in in the book, a lot of the things you see in there are extremely rare and and sort of you know in a, uh, for instance, we show an official Captain Marvel cape um from the forties of which there is one known example and Captain Marvel was at his peak you know, much more popular than Superman Mm -hmm. and part of the uh, and that eventually sort of became his downfall because uh, right out of the gate in 1941 or 40 or 41 uh, when Captain Marvel first appeared uh, DC Comics basically went after Fawcett the publisher and with a cease and desist letter saying this is an infringement on the copyright of Superman and 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 that went on and on and on for the 13 years of of Captain Marvel's existence in the Golden Age and uh, so the theory became that as soon as somebody got a license to make a Captain Marvel something that most likely they were slapped with a cease-and-desist order from DC Comics. And so they had sort of bought into something that they didn't really know they were buying into, which was this incredible legal battle. Mm-hmm. And that would account for the idea that, oh, here's the official Captain Marvel cape, and then...
0: <laughs> and oh, then no, no more can be made. No, yeah,
1: <laughs> we can't make any more sorry. Um, and and that, that sort of happened a lot. I mean, where it, where it didn't happen... Is in all the the really great paper toys that you could make, and that was because Fawcett pretty much made them themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so those those are kind of ubiquitous, and you know even now you can if you go to a comic book convention, you know dealers will still have those. But um, you know everything else is actually sort of super
0: rare. It it gives a kind of interesting snapshot on a kind of junk culture in a way mhm of seeing just how much stuff was produced for kids at that point from the 40s to the 50s and yeah just i the mean types. I you
1: know i love the design of it but also you know i as a batman fan i i lament that very 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 little was made for batman in that regard <laughs> in in the 40s yeah. you know in fact any ancillary stuff um almost uh, exclusively had to do with the Batman serials, mm-hmm. um, the Batman and Robin Columbia serials. So,
0: The ones in the the 50s, was it, or the 40s? No, they were in the 40s. Or, oh, this is the one where you had the, like, the really long ears on the... Mm-hmm. Head. Okay. Yeah. I think I watched a little bit of them. They're pretty hilarious.
1: They're hilarious, and they became the basis then for the show in the 60s.
0: Mm-hmm. So you grew up a DC kid.
1: I did I did What was, I your, did.
0: What was the f- the characters that really sucked you in at that point?
1: Well, definitely the, uh, you know, the, the, the Batman triumvirate Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman But then, you know, I sort of got into Captain Marvel fairly early, too Because DC bought the rights and relaunched the character in 73 And I would have been in third grade So, you know, that, that definitely caught my eye M- My whole thing with DC versus Marvel was... Marvel seemed to me to be like a a club that I frankly wasn't really allowed to join (laughs) Um, and the the reason was at that time my one source for comic books was um, Ronco's Pharmacy which was um, miles and miles and miles away from where we lived and uh, which meant that I could not ride my bicycle there so I was my my sole sort of source for comic books was if we had to go to the pharmacy to get something, and then I would go along and then I would I would get a comic and the point of my bringing this up is most of the DC stories, at least then were self-contained yeah. so there was like, you know, maybe a two-parter here and there, but for the most part, like here's the comic, there's an entire story inside with a beginning and a middle and an end and with the Marvel books, it was like watching one episode of a soap opera um, and, then not, and then not seeing another episode for maybe three weeks. So it, that turned me off. That um, It's not that I didn't have Marvel comics. I did. And especially when they came out with the big treasury editions, the tabloid things. Mm-hmm. And that's when I finally got to read the, um, you know, the whole Galactus saga. Uh, for the Fantastic Four Because it finally was contained in one volume And again, we're talking the mid-70s Before all of this was, you know
0: Before graphic novels were a cachet term and Exactly, exactly So, D, I, you know, just from story
1: format DC was much more, um, you know, fan-friendly to Accessible. me Accessible And... Uh, And then the other thing was, and I know that this is heresy, um, I wasn't a Jack Kirby fan. (laughs) You know, I just wasn't. There was just something about the artwork that I did not like. It just didn't. It didn't work for me.
0: So, you know, there you go. (laughs) As far as like getting into kind of the history at that point, um, DC Comics was interesting because during the seventies they were really pumping out a lot of reprints of the Golden Age work as well. Was that something you had been exposed to at that point? Had you been picking up a lot of those hundred-page specials? Oh
1: yeah, I loved all that. I loved all that. And the other thing that was a real revelation to me was when DC did their famous first editions.
2: Mm-hmm. Those
1: really? were those were great. And and I mean, some of that stuff I had seen before, but that whole the whole uh, issue of Batman number one and introducing the Joker, and then he almost dies at the end, and and all of that. It was just I that, to me, I mean, I just thought, wow, it was so much better back then. And the, uh, you know, the original, the real original Batman to me was the absolute
0: best. Mm-hmm. There's something about that p- dark pulpiness that it had at that point. I'm a DC kid as well. That's what I, uh, grew up in. My Batman obsession kind of has, uh, some issues. So, I understand. My, uh, my thing right now is I've been collecting all the Batman's going as far back as I can and getting them bound up into books. Mhm. So it's a fun it's a fun habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've since kinda turned the page on Kirby, I'm presuming. Um Yes. I, I but how
1: do I say this? I you know, I think he was great and I totally respect what he did, but
0: it's not it's not my favorite stuff. It's mm-hmm. just it's just not. Well, um you, didn't you do the design work on the Fourth World Collections? No Oh, okay. I, thought, I thought I read that somewhere that was yours Maybe it's just No,
1: and, and I was asked to do the Kirby book Yeah And I, yeah. I referred them to somebody else Both because A, even if I wanted to do it I didn't have the time at the time But B, I knew of a fantastic Designer who just worshipped Kirby And I yeah. just thought This makes much more sense yeah, it should go to him, um, and ditto that um, that that special um, blow up book of the Fantastic Four number one. Yeah, uh, that was the same thing. I referred them to somebody else.
0: Oh, okay, I just Who uh, could do it better than I could. Maybe I just felt it kind of went along with the style you had been using, with the that full page bleed. And maybe like the Plastic bands and stuff so There's something that aesthetic mm-hmm. That's familiar of your work um, When you do Design work for comics um, mm-hmm. Like maybe specifically The Plastic Man book mm-hmm. What do you What's something you're really trying to capture As far as balancing the work With the design Because I mean you go full hog into it There's no mm-hmm.
1: um, I think what I don't know. It's hard for me to articulate it because it's very intuitive. But I think what I'm trying to do is refocus people's attention to certain aspects of it, like with the Peanuts book that I did, or the or the Plastic Man one. It's that, um, and and yes, you know, some people say, well, that's very heavy-handed, and and uh, it is. But I, but you know, I I I like to, for the most part force the reader to take a closer look at something they thought they were familiar with.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, like, the idea of uh, heavy-handed graphic design is something that a lot of designers kind of get accused of, um, like, Seth gets it for his John Stanley books, and it, it's an interesting dialogue as far as, like, where where do you start, where do you finish, um, and so I guess... What kind of responsibility do you, as a designer, need to take towards the material? Well, it's a very fine line to walk,
1: but I think... Um, the I think the designer has to take a back seat to, to, to the material itself. I mean, it's not that you're not bringing anything to it at all, but... Um, you know, I think you'd have to bring just enough of a design sensibility to something so that whatever it is really shines, but at the same time, you know, it, it shouldn't be about you, the designer. It should be about, wow, that looks great. Oh, this person designed it. Okay, fine. Um, but, but the main thing is that it, it should, you know, it should do its job, you know, visually as a design. It's I think... Um, I mean, you know, not surprisingly, I think Chris Ware is just an absolute genius at that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even just... If you just look at the, those Crazy Cat covers that he does, it's just amazing that it's just one beautifully realized thing after another that, that you... And they're all different, and yet they're all looking to belong to Crazy Cat. And you just think, well, if, if Harriman would have had time, he probably would have done this. Um, but you know he didn't. No. Uh. So, so there you go.
0: How familiar are, are you with the kind of changes in design work in comics over the last, I guess, five ten years? Um, because it is changed, I think, quite substantially with a mm-hmm. lot of newer designers like Jacob Covey and Adam Grano at Fantagraphics, Jonathan Bennett, uh, mm-hmm. the work that Tom Devlin's done at Tron and Quarterly. I, you know,
1: it's, it's interesting. I I go, I pretty much go to a comic book shop at least once a week and look at what's going on, um, and it's, to me, it mirrors what was going on in, you know, regular trade book publishing almost 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, in that, again, it's hard to articulate it without sounding snobbish, but... but <laughs> There, there's a degree of sophistication that simply wasn't there before, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, just the idea that the title of of a certain comic or book or graphic novel or whatever like doesn't have to be at the top so that it reads in a rack. Yeah. Um, not the country Iraq, but on a on a, a- comic book rack. R A A C K.
2: Yes.
1: Um. I you know I think it's I think it's exciting and I think uh, you know I th- I think the mainstream publishers have come around, but I think it's taken a long time.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You can tell um, looking at say a DC or Marvel shelf unit and you can see who is actually hired on a designer for a book and which one kind of stays with the studio sensibilities i guess for lack of a better term mm-hmm. and just how something pops more like the jack kirby books really stand out in comparison to the you know standard dc archives or i was trying to think mm-hmm. of something that marvel does that looks really nice as far as design but bluntly it just doesn't Done a thing, to do. I
1: mean, in terms of the the regular comics, you know, I'll gi- I'll definitely give them props on you know the Civil War series, you know, that had a a very distinctive clean look to it. Um, but, you know,
0: there's 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 certainly some things that they do that, that are that are very nice. Um, rounding back, I guess, to the uh, Shazam book. How much beyond what you initially of what is producing the book. Was there more material beyond what you guys used?
1: I'll tell you. Um, <clears throat> there wasn't at my disposal. Um, I've, of course, you know. And uh, now the book has come out, and and then people come out of the woodwork and and contact me and say, "Oh, well, but I have this, this, and this, and this, and that, and um, apparently there was more." Foreign stuff made like in Cuba and Brazil um in
0: the forties
1: uh, that obviously i didn't
0: I have no, access to. I had no idea about the uh, Cuba bootlegging comics, but it like made sense. you
1: know I don't even think they're bootlegged I think
0: oh they're really I, licensed
1: well, you know what I don't know I mean yeah. the one we feature two card albums. One's very crude, the other's more sophisticated, um, and the crude one obviously um, re- is referring to the Republic movie serials.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the uh, the more sophisticated one is referring more to the comics, uh, for whatever that's worth. But um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I I have a real weakness for all that stuff. I think it's just great.